Yesterday was a landmark victory for former President Donald Trump as he swept the Iowa caucuses, gaining over 51 percent of the vote in what many of the pundits are saying was a surprise victory. What does this leave for the Republican Party heading into the November elections? Where do we go from here? Today, I'm going to give you a little bit of analysis of the Iowa caucuses and tell you where I think we're headed in the future. This is the Heidi St. John podcast. I'm glad you're here. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, for those of you who were uh, sleeping yesterday, or maybe like me, you're stuck in a snowstorm, uh, maybe you missed what was happening in Iowa, but the world is talking about it today because Donald Trump actually was swept to victory, winning 99% of the counties in Iowa to a stunning 51% victory. I'm going to play for you a little bit of a clip of Donald Trump's victory speech from Iowa. So we're going to put America first. We're going to make America great again. Again, Iowa, we love you. This is the first because the big night is going to be in November when we take back our country. Trump received 51 percent of the vote share in his historic victory. He lost the Iowa caucuses back in 2016, but momentum for his comeback campaign has surged this year even though he faces a litany of legal troubles, including more than 90 felony charges across four states. Trump finished far ahead of his rivals. We're still waiting for a final tally, but most polls have reported now. So there's Trump's 51 percent. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis projected to come in a distant second with roughly 21 percent of the vote. And DeSantis nearly overtook former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, who's projected to finish third now with around 19 percent of the vote. The clip I just played for you was actually from a Canadian news uh, newscasting company. And the reason I did that is because they are one of the, the most mellow when it comes to their post-election analysis. And I appreciated that. But I think it's worth going back and talking about kind of what happened with Vivek last night. So in one of the classier moves, Vivek, of course, came in a distant fourth, obviously no path forward for him. In November, he recognized that and actually suspended his campaign uh, as soon as he realized that he was going to come in fourth in the Iowa caucuses and then immediately threw his support behind Donald Trump. On the other hand, Nikki Haley, who I don't think has a has a chance at all. There's no path that I can see. She's going to lose miserably in her home state of South Carolina. She's likely going to lose in the New Hampshire primaries. And I don't think I'm I don't know what she's trying to prove right now. But what happened when she gave her speech after the Iowa caucuses were over was kind of disappointing to me. And the fact that she just took out after President Trump as if she was going to win the race or had a chance at persuading voters. Now, maybe somebody has has uh, taken out their magic eight ball and told her that she would win. But whoever's given her advice has given her pretty bad advice. It seems to me that the best thing to do right now for everyone who remains, and that includes Ron DeSantis, is to say, hey, probably we're going to have to wrap this thing up here pretty quick and put their support behind Donald Trump. When Chris Christie got out of the race, most of his support went to Nikki Haley, which is going to bolster her chances in New Hampshire. But when it comes to her ability to be able to win this thing, to pull it off, she's not ready for prime time. There's several things that she has said over the course of her campaign. I actually really appreciated Nikki Haley when she was the ambassador to the United Nations, but it seems to me that she's having a little too much of a 
of a love affair with the globalists over at the UN. And there are several things that she has said. She probably was the chief flip-flopper in the uh, in this current a- campaign cycle. But I was really disappointed in her attack, her just relentless attacks against Donald Trump. And she's trying to set herself apart as the alternative to Trump. But the problem is, uh, it's just, it's not going to work. And so I think while she's going to get Chris Christie's votes, uh, it's not going to be enough to take her over the finish line, not in New Hampshire, not in South Carolina, not anywhere, uh, as the Grinch would say. Uh, when it comes to Ron DeSantis, you guys know I really like Ron DeSantis. I was listening to Joy Reid just tear him apart this morning on, on MSNBC. And you know why she can't stand the guy? She can't stand the guy for all the reasons why I think he's the greatest governor that the state of Florida has ever had. With that being said, this is not his time. He's not going to pull it off. Uh, And even if he comes in, you know, again in South Carolina or in New Hampshire, which I think he's likely going to pull it off in South Carolina, there's no way at this point, barring some sort of a miracle, that these guys catch up to Trump. And so what I think you're going to see happen in the next several weeks is that one by one, people are going to begin to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't waste, you know, 80 million, 300 million dollars on campaign that's destined to fail. And maybe we put that money into a campaign that actually has a shot at winning. And so I've been saying this for a long time. I'm going to continue to say it. I think that uh, Trump is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party and the Iowa caucuses, certainly a foreshadowing of that. I think we're going to see it mm, probably more likely than not that all of these indictments, you know, the fact that the Biden administration is like we talked about with Siaka yesterday, uh, this guy has weaponized the Department of Justice in a way that we have never seen here in the United States, at least not to this level. And so I think the American people are tired of it. And as my husband and I were kind of remarking about this in the uh, in the in the truck on the way to the office, I almost didn't make it to the studio today. If you guys are watching this on Rumble or YouTube, you can see that I'm all bundled up. I'm wearing my sweater uh, because it was a balmy 16 degrees when I was driving here this morning and we are expected to have an ice storm uh, in the next 24 hours. Here in the Pacific Northwest, the ice storms are the events that tend to cripple the area. And so uh, we're we're kind of playing it by ears as to how we're going to do the podcast over the next couple of days. But we were talking about just the direction that the party is going and what's happening with the Democrats. And I've said this before, and I've been saying this to another friend of mine who's running for Congress right now. This is about the moderates. This is not about the far right. It is not about the far left. It is about the moderates. How normal can you appear to be? How normal can your message be? And I think that the Democrats and the far left in this country have injured themselves, I hope, to the point where moderate and normal people are going to go, you know what? This whole transgender push is garbage. Look what they're doing to our schools. Uh, what's happening at the southern border. In fact, the uh, the Iowans who came out to caucus the other night said that that was their number one issue. The number one issue for Iowans in the caucuses that happened on Monday night was very simply the uh, the immigration issue. Uh, normal Normal people, normal Iowans are noting that their government is giving away millions and millions and millions of dollars to people who have not been vetted, who have not followed the, the process for coming into our country legally. And yet, Money that should be going to American citizens who are struggling to make it day to day in an economy that is absolutely on its head with an outrageous inflation rate. This is how nations die, by the way. The United States 
is a nation in decline. Uh, you can see it in our inflation rates. You can see it in the way that we uh, that we respond to emergencies. You can see it in the way that our southern border has just been left wide open. Texans are having to fight for their right to not have an invasion at the southern border. And I think these are the issues that Trump is going to capitalize on. And, you know, love him or hate him. And you guys know I had my own, you know, personal experience with Donald Trump when I was running for Congress. And uh, I liked him less <laughs> after that, I will say. Uh, on a personal level, I think he frustrates a lot of people. But as a president, he was good on policy. And that is what this is about. It is policy over personality. And if if we can see our way clear to focus on policy rather than personality, I actually think Donald Trump has a real shot at winning this November. Goodness knows our country cannot take much more of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, probably the worst uh, president that we have ever had, at least in my lifetime, for sure. I've read about presidents that could rival Biden in terms of their uh, incompetency, never to the point where I would look at a a sitting president and say, that guy is mentally ill or that guy needs to be in a nursing home. And I watched Joe Biden stumble around. He's an embarrassing president. You watch him stumble around the national stage. He doesn't know where he's at half the time, shaking hands with people that aren't there, tripping up the stairs to get to Air Force One, making a fool of himself uh, with Xi Jinping and other national leaders, and then turning around on the American people and calling parents who want to go to school board meetings and voice their frustration at the conference of sex education that is being foisted onto their children. He'll turn around and call you a domestic terrorist. They're taking out after the January 6th uh, uh, crowd as if they were terrorists. It's unbelievable to me. And Joe Biden, if I think if he could, would follow in the footsteps of Justin Trudeau, who is nothing more than a communist dictator. My heart goes out to the people in Canada right now. They're having their news censored. Uh, it's amazing what these people will do to suppress any type of opposition. And so as it moves forward, as we move forward now, uh, everybody's, of course, going to head to New Hampshire. But I thought this was interesting uh, coming out of the news on the heels of Donald Trump's decisive victory. Democrat Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Now, you guys all remember Pritzker. He was he was up there right up there with uh, Jay Inslee and Gretchen Whitmer in one of the most tyrannical authoritarian governors in uh, the midst of COVID. He's claiming that Donald Trump's performance at the Iowa caucuses shows that he is weak. Pritzker, who is a Biden campaign surrogate, made the remark on MSNBC, of course, Monday night as votes were still being counted. Something that's interesting, and I'll get I'll get back to Pritzker in a second, but something else that I thought was so interesting as I watched the returns come in you know, I like to to look and see at various uh, stages along the the point. You know, what's on what's MSNBC saying? What's Fox News saying? You know, what's Tucker Carlson have to say? What are they saying over at the Daily Wire? It's interesting to see different perspectives. But the thing that I thought was most alarming was coming from the very hard left news outlets in this country. Uh, Rachel Maddow being, of course, the queen of the broken legacy media. And she refused, they refused to air Donald Trump's victory speech because they they said, and I quote, we have to think really hard about whether or not we want to knowingly air 
false information. (laughs) When she said that, both my husband and myself just went, oh, hey, that is rich coming from the people that lied to us uh, 24 hours a day over there at MSNBC. So very, very interesting times that we're into uh, right now. But this remark that Pritzker made saying that Donald Trump was weak uh, is interesting to me, partly because he made it while votes were still being counted and partly because Trump has ended up winning by this massive margin with 51% of the vote. That was huge. They were telling him, hey, you know, we're going to consider it to be a landslide if you can clear 12%. And of course, he blew that out of the water. This is what he said. Uh, Pritzker. This is what he said. This is the most famous Republican. He's the guy who, you know, basically built the modern Republican Party, the MAGA Republican Party that Democrats are running against. And half the people in that party didn't vote for Donald Trump. Pritzker Pritzker was saying this again on MSNBC. So I think that's telling, he went on to say, it tells you the weakness of Donald Trump and also an opportunity for the Democrats. Because in the end, look, if the base doesn't turn out for Donald Trump in a general election enthusiastically, And Democrats do turn out their base. This is all about, you know, independents and independents who don't like Trump. So I think we're in a good place tonight to see what's happening on the Republican side. He went on to say if Donald Trump is, in fact, the winner tonight and able to win in New Hampshire and South Carolina, probably the race is over. But the truth is all these candidates are running as sort of mini me Trump Republicans. And so Pritzker, of course, uh, is supporting the reelection campaign, if you want to call it that, of uh, Joe Biden. But I have a completely different take on this. Uh, To me, this did not show weakness in Trump. And it showed that his base, who was willing to come out in sub-zero temperatures and caucus for Trump, shows me that the enthusiasm is behind him. People are going to vote with their with their uh, based on their wallets based on what's happening to them uh, with taxes. They're going to they're gonna vote based on what they see happening in the school system, which is, you know, broken beyond repair. You guys have heard me say many times here at the show, you know, I wave the white flag. I think that the public school system is beyond repair. And the reason I think that is because it is absolutely infiltrated by the National Educators Association, who basically owns the schools. And they're the ones who are setting the the temperature in the schools. They're the ones who are determining the agenda. They're the ones who are pushing transgenderism and radical comprehensive sex education. So it's interesting to note that the education system is completely on fire. Every, every place from Abilene Christian University to obviously our woke secular universities to our public school system And I think ordinary Americans are really tired of it. Most people are going to look at what's happening in the country right now, especially as it relates to what's happening on our southern border and what's happening in our schools and say, no, actually, men cannot be women. And you guys, we need to hold the line. We need to speak the truth. We need to be praying for the people that are running for office. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If Trump is the nominee and I believe that he is going to be the nominee, he will have my support going into the 2024 November elections. These are critical elections for the country. We don't have, uh, I think, very much time to spare. And I I was watching, and I have been sort of fascinated to watch people like my friend Jack Hibbs commenting on what's happening in the culture and reminding God's people, and I'm going to say it again, that the, the world might be in crisis, but God's people don't need to be. We should be men and women of prayer. We should be praying. Even if you don't like Donald Trump, 
pray for him because he is very likely going to be running to represent this nation in the 2024 races. And if it's Trump versus Joe Biden again, we can't, I just don't think the nation's going to survive another four years of Joe Biden. Whoever it is that is behind Joe Biden, uh, we know that Joe Biden's not in charge of his own life, right? He's, I'm surprised, I don't think that guy's in charge of his breakfast, quite frankly. And so we've got a crisis in this country. And, uh, you know, I keep hearing the left talk about an existential threat. Well, the existential threat is the threat that Americans, ordinary Americans like you and me, are slowly but surely losing our freedoms in this country. Uh, we're dying the death of a thousand paper cuts. In Washington state, there are several bills that are being put before the state legislature right, legislature right now that are absolutely devastating. And we need to be paying attention. Again, you know, the, the federal races are very important. President of the United States is very important, but don't take your eye off the ball. When it comes to local races, Christians should be involved in these things. Be involved in your library boards. Find out who's running for your uh, for the parks and recreation position in your local jurisdiction. Find out who's sitting on your city council. Did you know that you can find out who's running for judge in your in your area? The judges have historically uh, hidden behind the fact that they are supposed to be impartial, but we know that none of these judges are impartial. All you got to do is look at the Ninth Circuit Court. But the same thing is true and even maybe more important locally. Find out who you're, who is running to represent you uh, as a local magistrate. Who are, who are the people that want to preside over trials of ordinary people? If they are unwise or if they come with a, uh, with a political agenda that is anti-God, anti-First Amendment, anti-Second Amendment, these judges do bring those perspectives to the bench with them. And so Americans have a right to know who is running for these positions. And I was talking with a really good friend who's been working in uh, Texas politics for quite some time. And they were telling me that they have been working and successfully working to uh, send questionnaires to judges. And if the judges don't respond, they basically are answering the question. Right. So you can't ask a judge how he would rule on a particular case, but you can absolutely find out what his particular bias is because judges do not come to these cases or to the bench without a bias. So while justice is supposed to be blind, these judges are not blind. And so we need to know who they are. What is their track record? It absolutely matters. And it matters, I think, going into the 2024 races because we know that very likely there's going to be yet another vacancy on the Supreme Court. And if that happens, you don't want someone like Joe Biden picking a Supreme Court justice. I shudder to think what that guy would do. Anyway, I, I think it's interesting. Keep praying for uh, for the United States, praying for the elections in 2024. I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. I think we're going to see all sorts of shenanigans. Hopefully, if they try to uh, play the pandemic card again, people are going to be more wise than they were last time. But in all of these things, we are called not to be afraid. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Stay informed, stay involved, stay in prayer. And I think we're going to see God do amazing things. You guys, thank you so much for listening. A lot of you have been asking as I wrap up today for my uh, sourdough recipe, and it will be in the show notes today. So check it out. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. I'll see you back here again at the intersection of faith and